Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. You know, we start this new sermon series, um, it's called Warrior, um, and it's, it's a four-part, and part one is actually called, you know, the subtitle is The Promise, and it's Warrior, The Promise, and, and you know, we believe here in, in Southside that, that God has been, and has been longing uh, the desire to awaken this warrior spirit uh, that he placed in the people of the South Pacific. You know, so if you're here today, then, then God is definitely talking to you. Um, and if you are living in the South Pacific, I hope you are all living here in the South Pacific, you don't travel from here to the States or whatever, then God is calling you as well. And this is the hour for recognizing and, and rising to be who God has called you and I to be. You know, uh, probably in the month of June, um, we did this two-week sermon series called The Wave. Uh, some of you may be familiar or may have remembered it. If you don't, um, you know, just before I start, I, in this four-week sermon series, I want you to refer back to this sermon series, The Wave. It's a two-week one. And I want, you know, that was in June, we, we, I think we preached it during the month of June this year. Um, and I'd like, like I said, I'd like all of us as homework for you to, uh, you know, have a listen to this two-week sermon. I want, I want you to go away to refresh yourself um, and, and where God is, is actually taking your life in this season. And this is a good start to remind yourself of, of you know, um, where you were at in the month of June to where you are at today. And so we kick in to today, starting with this um, four-week sermon series um, called Warrior. And, you know, um, I want us to, to go deeper in knowing the difference in this sermon series, okay? I want us to go deeper in knowing the difference when fighting in the physical and fighting in the spiritual. And as Christians, you know, we're constantly, you know, we're constantly bat battling to do the right thing, right? Based off the Bible. And so we're always having to make a conscious decision with the daily choices that we make. Um, the kind of things we say, the actions that we do, and our passion to follow Jesus. And I remember, a t I share this, this is a bit, doing a bit of a detour here. But I remember, for example, one instance I can think of when I shouldn't of fought. I should not have fought in the physical as a Christian, okay? And it was during this time, uh, probably about, um, yeah, I was Christian. I was here at Every Nation, and I was a full-time minister um, here about, about five or six years ago. Um, don't judge me, but let me tell you, I'm going to tell you this story. I failed big time, um, you know, and there was one time we were living at this time. We had our house. We were living in Mount Wellington at the time. We were coming to and through to the church in, in South Auckland. Um, or maybe it was Auckland Girls at the time. And we used to do a lot of late night, myself, my wife, and the boys, you know, stay up late, hang out, 2 a.m., watch movies, and, and then go for a feed. And so there was one of those nights we did this real late night for 2 a.m. Let's go grab a feed. Let's go to McDonald's down in Green Lane. And so, you know, the boys jumped in the car at the back, and we, me and Wayne, we jumped in, and we were driving. So 2 a.m., there's no traffic. It's not even busy. And we jumped onto the motorway heading to Green Lane. And, you know, when you're turning into the motorway at 2 a.m., there is no traffic. And I remember driving in, 
onto the motorway, looked in my rear mirror, and there was this car that was like, you know, far away. You could just see the lights. And so, I've, okay, that's just two of us on the motorway here. And so it was all good. As you, as you do, you were driving. Um, you know, I jumped on the motorway. Traffic was clear. Car was far back. But, you know, boy, was I wrong. As I was driving, we had this collision from the back, that particular car had hit us from the back. And when it hit us from the back, um, we lost control. Like, I lost control. Man, but great thing, you know, I watched Fast and the Furious. And you know how you drift. So I was, nah, you know, I was going, ah, ah, you know, screaming like a little girl. And then I was trying to compose myself. My wife was going, come on, man, get yourself together. You know, but, but I was able to control it. But it was so much, it was such an impact that really threw us, you know, off. And, and praise God, we had our seatbelts on. And, um, you know, I was able to control it, and we pulled over to the side. And this guy, he, he pulled over to the side as well. If he didn't, I would have chased him, chased him down. Um, and, and, and so we did. And we hopped out of the car, and I was angry. You know, I was so frustrated. Everything in me, like, half of it was like, man, we almost died. You know, um, our car was actually written off from there. But, man, it must have been angels that just protected our car that day. And, and um, you know, but I remember hopping out, and I looked at him, you know, and he goes, man, brother, I'm so sorry. I, I fell asleep at the wheel. Um, and, man, I had a little bit to drink, so, you know, I dozed off. That, that doesn't help, does it? And I remember just looking at him, and I was going, dude, you know, and, and I looked at the back seat, and my boys, they were just crying. They were young, you know, and they were crying their eyes, and that even, you know, escalated even more inside of me. And I've never done this in, in, since for a very, very long time, okay? But when I saw my kids crying, and I looked back at them, you know, and I said to them nicely, with a loud voice, you know, whatever comes out of your mouth at that time, you know, and it was the F-bomb. Um, you know, it wasn't fudge, you know, it wasn't shut the front door, you know, it was the F-bomb. And I remember, you know, it's, I was stuttering, I didn't know whether to say it or not. I was fighting inside, you know, and I said it to him. And as soon as I said that F-bomb, it's like I could see the words come out of my mouth, and I was trying to catch it, please bring it back, to put it back in my mouth. Because as soon as I said it, this verse that came to my heart, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Ooh, that cut me. And I haven't sworn like that in a long time. And I felt so bad. It's like I failed. And right then and there, as soon as I said that, no matter whether he was drunk, he had fallen asleep at the wheel, he was driving way too fast, I forgave him. And then the next F word was, man, bro, I forgive you. It's all good. That's how guilty, that's how bad I felt from just physically saying that. Because in the spirit, in the internal, I didn't want to, but I did. I went there. Even I took it to the point where I told him, look, forget it. <laughs> forget it. Don't, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll sort it out. And so I let him off. He goes, no, I'll sort it out. I said, forget it, man. Don't worry. Because he, he couldn't believe it. But it's just an internal battle that I was fighting on the inside. It was so hard that I, you know, it's just felt, man, God, forgive me. And so I just felt that's what I chose to do. Now, I'm not saying that you go ahead and do that, but definitely don't beat them up if that ever happens to you. 
But that was something that I just remember fighting in the physical versus fighting in the spiritual for my life. You know, and, and how do you react in the opposite, right? How do you act, react, uh, react in this opposite attitude so that things like what I did don't happen to you? you know, and, and I want to say the answer is it's actually not that easy, to be honest, and I don't have the answer. And some of you here, you know, rage, anger, road rage, whatever it is that happened that night for me, that might not be a problem for you. But, uh, you know, so, so what other things do you face that you act out in the physical in times of pressure? It could be a lot of different things right now that you're thinking about. Back then it was rage for me, it was anger. I, I carried a lot of that from my past into, into you know, my life as I go. And like I said, I don't have all the answers for you today, but I do want to leave us all with a choice to make in moments of trials and hard times that you face in the future or you may be going through right now. You know, the next four weeks we'll be looking at the life of David and what he, we can learn from him and, and how we can apply some of his life lessons to we, where you are in your life today. You know, David, he had so much going for him in his early life, even as a young kid. I mean, you know... Uh, just a just a brief uh, background story. You know, David he became a superstar overnight by killing Goliath. I think we all know that story of Goliath. You know, he was this one-hit wonder at that time. The Bible talks about David going down to the stream and he grabs these five stones, um, smooth stones, but he only actually uses one of the stones um, to beat Goliath, and that's that one-hit wonder. You know, this one hit. He did on Goliath, it actually made um, him a name, but it was at a cost. It was at a cost not too soon after it happened, and I'll share with that, uh, about that more soon. You know, when I, when I think of that term, one hit wonder, straight away a lot of us would refer to music, right? And, and, and the artists that became famous for, a lot of the times for that one song that they sang. You know, uh, one that comes to mind is Vanilla Ice. You know, yeah, you know the lyrics though. Hey, I should give you the mic so you can rap and dance. You know, um, I'm not going to rap it because I never learned that song. And so I never danced to it as well. But you know, Vanilla Ice, you remember him and, and his one-hit wonder that made him famous. Uh, there was another, remember the Hanson Brothers, I think? And there's that song, Mbop. And the whole chorus, I was actually looking it up. The other day, umbop. Is that what the song? And the whole chorus goes, umbop, 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 yeah, yeah, all together, umbop. You know what I mean? You know, you know, because some of you, yes, the kid with the long hair. That's the one I love. You know, and and I mean, let me let me try something for you, okay? I remember this one song. Um. Can you, can you turn this on? For, forgive me for my singing. But you know, I remember this. Um, once I'm going to muck around here, okay? Is that cool? Remember this song? Told 
fasting good love to satisfy your pride. Now you wish that you still had her. And then he goes, and you feel like such a fool. You let her walk away. And I just don't feel the same. Gotta blame it on something. Gotta blame it on something. We'll take that now. Blame it on the rain that was falling, falling. And blame it on the stars that didn't shine that night. Whatever you do, don't push the blame on you. Blame it on the rain. Yeah, yeah. Give yourselves a hand. That's funny. I just had to go there. I was thinking of that song when I used to have long hair. Remember when they used to do that big kick? Yeah, I might pull something if I try that. Remember that song, Mark Morrison, you know? Return of the Mac. You know, he made that song, uh, that part. Ooh, yeah. He was one that made that little lick famous to a lot of R&B singers back in that time. You know, these, these one-hits, uh, these one-hit wonders, they made these people famous, even to this day. I mean, a lot of you still know those songs that I mentioned. A lot of them were in the 80s, um, probably before a lot of you that were born. And the thing about these one-hit wonders, you don't hear much about these artists today, eh? You know, these one-hit wonder artists, they struggled in their music after their songs, you know, made it to the charts because they, a lot of the times they could never make any other well-known songs after these one-hit wonder moments. You know, you know, before David, he killed Goliath. It was said that he was about 17 years old when he killed Goliath, um, around that time, around that age. But... But David, he was actually a musician before he killed Goliath. He was a musician in Saul's kingdom at the time. And before even being a, a, a musician in Saul's kingdom, David, he actually looked after his dad's sheep. It was when he was a shepherd boy, that's when he was anointed to be the next king to take over Saul. And it was, a, it was believed that, that, king Saul, uh, sorry, that David, at that time being anointed, he was actually around 12 years old. Now, from the time he was anointed as king to getting the call up to serve as a king, uh, to serve in the king's uh, palace as a musician, to then randomly killing Goliath, which made him famous, this all happened within his young life. You know, God's promise to David right from the start, when he was 12 or so, was he was anointed for greatness. You know, life... At that time in his life, it was great for him. You know, he was living out his promise for God that, that he was to be king of Israel one day. He knew that. He was anointed to be. You know, even people, after killing Goliath, people started making songs and writing songs about him and his fame as this warrior. But like every one-hit wonder moment, it all came crashing down for him. You see, Saul became jealous of David's fame, and he hated it, hated him for it. And then within that time being anointed as king at, at 12 years old and becoming known for Goliath's killing at the age of 17, this one hit wonder everyone remembers David for, you know, the death of Goliath. And all of a sudden his life takes a turn and he becomes number one's most wanted fugitive. And so the only thing he could do was run. And he could, you know, and the whole reason for running is so that he could live out what God promised him. 
This is the question. Can you imagine being a one-hit wonder like David? You know, no one to be someone great out there amongst your peers or your community. And then over time, things take a turn for the worse. You know, some of us may have done, man, amazing things. Think about it now, okay? You may have done some amazing things in life that God has directed you on or, or gone to places where God has called you to go and to be part of. And it felt great how God was moving in your life. And it seems everything has come together for the purpose he has called you in. And then, you know, within maybe a month or, or maybe years later, it just feels and it looks like you're right back where you started. Or you may be in a worse place than before. Has that ever happened to you? You know, you go home every day during these times and you lay your head on the pillow and you wonder, man, how did I get here? How can my life be better than what it is right now? Isn't there more to my life than what I'm doing now? And not just that, but, you know, let's be honest, people, people remember you for what you used to be like. And they wonder what you're up to now. I, you know, we get caught in those kind of conversations. Man, hey, did you remember so-and-so back in the day? Man, remember when they used to be like this and that? Or, you know, remember so, man, he, were, he or she, she, she was so great at what she did. Or she was so amazing and he was so, you know, he was so good at it. And most of the times when, when life feels like this and that pressure is on you, as a Christian, we begin to stop trusting in God. And we start blaming him. And can you imagine that David was feeling like this at the time of his life as well? You know, David goes on the run from Saul. Why? Because Saul wanted him dead. David has nowhere to go. And so he runs into the, into the wilderness and, you know, to the mountains. And another name of the wilderness is known as the Badlands. And... Um, they call it the Badlands because there is nothing good in those lands. There's no food, no shelter, no water, no life. It's just desert. It's just dry land. It's rocks and it's mountains. But he's able to find this cave, right, to run into and hide. He hides into, in this cave. And as any musician and the artist that he is, he's an emotional guy. And so during this emotional time, he writes down his thoughts and he puts it into a song. And this is what he writes, um, you know, in, in one of the Psalms. And let me read it to you and catch this. It says, this is him sitting in the cave. And this is what he's saying. I cry out loudly to God. Loudly, I plead with God for mercy. I spill out all my complaints before him and spell out my troubles in detail. And as I sink in despair, my spirit, it grows faint within me. You know how I'm feeling, God. You know the anger I'm in, the traps hidden in my path. Look and see, there's no one at the right hand or on my left. No one is concerned for me. I'm up against the wall with no exit. No one cares for my life. Yet I cry out, God, and I call out to you. You're my last chance, my only hope for life. Listen, please, please listen. I've never been this low. Rescue me from those who are hunting me down, for they are too strong for me. Get me out of this prison, God, so I can thank you in public and praise your name. 
Your people will gather around me because of your goodness to me. Wow. In the cave. <laughs> this is what I want us to learn from David. David never shaped his life around his one-hit wonder. You know, the whole coulda, shoulda, woulda kind of life he could have had during his peak and fame of killing Goliath. Yes, he runs. He runs away, but he doesn't run from his problems. He runs to God for refuge. He doesn't give up living life on God's promise from when he was called 12 and anointed at 12. You know, that one day he'll become great. So this is what I want to ask. So did it work out for him eventually? Well, not straight away. You know, we read in the book, we just jump a few chapters and we see how great his life is. You know, but once he became a fugitive, he hid in the wilderness, the mountains, the badlands, you know, and, and I don't want you to miss this now, but this is where David spends his life for the next nine years. On the run, in the badlands, for nine years, as a fugitive that had nothing wrong, had done nothing wrong, but just honored God. You know, are you willing to live in the badlands in this season of your life? Are you prepared to hang on to the promises that God has, you know, that God gave you either many months ago or, or years ago that he has not forgotten about your life? No matter what people say about you, good or bad, are you willing to fight as a warrior in this season? You know, over the last year or so, um, my family, we've, we've been stretched. We've been stretched financially and we've been stretched in the transition as a family. And, you know, my boys, they're growing up, they're becoming teenagers. And, I'm, man, look, can I be honest, man? I'm trying to learn how to father teenagers. And it's different. <laughs> you used to tell them what to do, and they do it. It's different now. My son is taller than me. So he thinks he can, Dad, hey, hey, I'll cut you in a minute, hey. You know, my boys, they're growing to, to be teenagers, and, and um, all of that that's happening in our life, we've... We've lived uh, a content life, you know, in our marriage, and, and we've walked through some rough moments with things like finances, and we still, we still do to this very day. And I'm a big, now, get me here, I'm a big believer of having good finances for the family and to leave a great legacy behind in, in the area of wealth. That's one area that you can leave a legacy in. I mean, <laughs> heck, we've, we've been prophesied even just before we got married, uh, we were prophesied that we were going to become a wealthy family, that we will have a lot of wealth so that we can bless others with that wealth. We, and we still hold on to that promise, even though it doesn't look like it's coming anytime soon. And I lay in bed many times wondering if, if God is going to do something great in my life as the pastor of this church, you know, and there's the fear of failure that, that might happen. You know, there's, there's so much currently happening in the news out there of big churches around the world that, are, that, are, that, are, that have struggling pastors, some of them falling into immorality um, and, and being so key leaders of, of the, the church around the world. Um, 
You know, I read a week ago, uh, a, a well-known pastor committed suicide um, overseas, and his church is devastated. I mean, who wouldn't be of a, of a, of a very large church? And a, a, a probably about a month ago, you know, read about one of the most famous pastors um, that had fallen, um, you know, through immorality, and, and even that, it's, it's, it's hard for the church. These are hard things. And amongst having to live in the bad lands, right? Let me tell you this. I'm so blessed that Jesus is the center of my life and that it's him that keeps me fighting this fight. What about you? Did you know that when you fight the good fight, with Jesus being the center of that fight, God draws others to him through your hard times of fighting. And since coming back from overseas a lot, about a month now, man, you know, I'm, I'm so amazed at sensing in the spirit and, and, and discerning over some of your lives that many of you are choosing to fight during this time. You know, this fight, you've been there before, but this time it's different. You're actually willing to step up to the battle and resist the pushback from the enemy. And it's, I mean, it's so new to you what you're going through right now, but you've chosen to do this because you've held on to the promise that God gave you a long time ago, and you're willing to take this journey with him. This battle as a warrior, it's, it's not a fight in the flesh. The thing is, it never has been a battle in the physical. It's a battle to obey God's word and promises for your life so that you can represent Jesus for who he is. This is exactly what David did. Living life in the badlands the wilderness, and as he pressed into the journey with God, you know, remember nine years in the wilderness, running around and, and hiding in the mountains, don't forget. Yet God strengthened him in his hardest times of life by allowing him to walk out his hard times. And how much further are you willing to push to see your life live out your duration of the badlands? I see, I mean, me and my wife, we we are waiting on some of the promises that God gave us 18 years ago. And it still hasn't come to pass yet. But we don't base our lives on this one-hit wonder that we've done in the last 18 years. And I believe that's why many people will follow you and I into the badlands, get me here, into the wilderness, into the desert season, because we're learning how to keep our lives real in accountability, just like David. You know, when David, when he went on the run, I mentioned earlier how he ran and he hid in a cave situated in the wilderness, the badlands. And I shared one of his emotional songs that he writes while he was sitting in that cave. You know, Psalm 142. Well, a lot of people don't know that this cave that he hid in was called the Cave of Adullam. Let me read you these verses of what happens in this cave. 
1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, David, he escaped to the cave of Adullam. So he's running from Saul at this time. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there as well. Also, there were men who were in distress, meaning they suffered with anxiety. There were men that were in debt. We all know what it's like to be in debt, right? And there were men that were discontented, meaning they were just unhappy with their lives. So they were distressed, they were in debt, and they were discontented. Yet they gathered around David, and David became their commander in a cave, on the run, as a fugitive. And about 400 men were with him. And remember, Scripture never says how many women and children. These people had families. Yet they saw something in David, and they followed him. 400 men plus their wives and their children. Lesson here. In all your weakness, as long as, you, as you're real about your life in Christ before others, they will be inspired to follow you and hunger to want more of Christ in their life. Think about it. I mean, why are you here this morning? What brings you to church every Sunday? You know, what encourages you to tithe and give over and above out of wealth to the church and to others? And you, you may be struggling financially yourself. Why bother filling these seats where, I mean, come on, man, we could be sleeping or we could be anywhere else spending our Sunday morning. Yet we're all here. And I believe one reason, okay, one reason is because you and I, we connect with what God is doing here in this church. You're around people like you. And those people are distressed, in debt, and discontented. I don't mean to offend you or anything, but let's keep it real here. I'm in good company. You got a lot of debt, and you're unhappy with life at times, yet Sunday morning, Sunday morning fellowship, this cave, this cave that you walk into every weekend lifts your spirit that God is evident in your lives, that you sit around and you hunger to walk out the wilderness season. You know, you walk it out together through fellowship, through friendships, and definitely through prayer. Now, I may be going through my my. my financial struggles or my insecurities as a leader of this church. But let me tell you, this cave here of brothers and sisters that I sit in every Sunday, and while I sit in this cave, the wilderness season that I'm constantly in, man, I'm, I'm encouraged and I'm blessed that I have family like you that I get to do this with. Like-minded people they want to learn more and more about how we can make Jesus the center of our individual lives. This is part of being a warrior for me. To always live out my life when I have a season of being in the badlands and, and understanding that it may take some time to get out of there, but I know I have others that, that are living out their season in the wilderness as well. 
And that encourages me to, to keep going and to stand alongside them and to be real with them. You know, we, with groups this week, I've been sitting, and I was part of a group even this morning, and you know, I got to share about things that are happening in my life. And, but I thought I, I had it bad. <laughs> and then another brother next to me, he shares, and it's like, wow, are you going through that right now? And then the next brother shares, and it's like, oh, my gosh. Mine's nothing compared to some of these brothers. And then the next brother shares. I'm in good company. I'm so encouraged. Because every single one of them said, but God is good. And he cares for me. And I'm so grateful for that. As a warrior for Jesus, as I finish here, please, during this season, during this time, you're going through something new. You're being stretched. And so this warrior spirit needs to come. I need to make you aware that you've been doing it all along, this warrior spirit in you. No matter where you are in your journey with Christ right now, some of you may be doing really well. That's good. You keep praising him. But some of you may be in the pits of hell right now. And you know you are. And you've drawn yourself away from God. Because the enemy has snuck in. Please. And Jesus doesn't want to make you feel stink. He wants to welcome you in. And I want to encourage you, no matter where you're walking right now in your life, the accountability during this time of being a warrior spirit helps you fake, not, not, not be a fake in the physical but it really helps you strengthen in the spiritual. The accountability. I mean, some of us, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, as men, we're not good at doing accountability. It's, that word sounds a bit soft to me. But when you think iron sharpening iron, that's a different story. I've got a brother next to me. His iron, he's sharpening me and I'm sharpening him for my life to honor my God to love my wife, my family, to love what I do. I want the same for you. So don't forget, you're probably thinking, man, this is so hard. Why? Because it's never happened to you before. And why is it hard? Because you've been fighting a lot more than you used to. You're in a good place. The badlands. <laughs> But see, when he went and hid in that cave, it was a place of refuge for David. And as he was in there, these men, these 400 men, they saw his life. That's why they followed him. They saw him cry out to God in his good times and yell at God in his bad times. Yet he still loved God through thick and thin. And so they said, I want to be like that. Not like him, not like this David in the physical, but the David in the spirit. I want to love God like he loves God. I want to follow Jesus like my brother and my sister every time I'm with them every week. The importance of brotherhood and sisterhood, the cave of Adullam, 
It's so important for our life right now. It always has been, but I'm telling you now, now is the time for where God is taking you. And as a warrior for Jesus, don't forget the promise and the promises He gave you from the start. When David was 12, all the way to becoming a king. David never forgot his promise from God, even when in the bad lands. So for you and I, let's learn from David this morning. Let us pray.